Well, good morning, everybody. I am not an imposter. I am Tim Rogers. Truth, some of you never thought you'd see me in a tie again. Just wanted to be clear. I am really me. And uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, so good to see you this morning. Uh, we're, we're grateful to have you here. If you're sitting uh, online later, thank you for doing that. Um, hope it is a great uh, week for you, uh, celebrating so much together with family and friends, and we're grateful that you made some time here this morning to be with us. So before I get going this morning and where we're heading in our, uh, in our Christmas message and our final um, part of our series that we've been in, I want to tell you um, about where we're going briefly. Uh, in the new year, we're beginning a new series um, called Rethink It. Um, if you know people in the new year who are in the middle of kind of rethinking what their, their life or their faith or their business or their family or their marriage or their personal habits or whatever it might be, if they're rethinking what they should do, what they should become, you might want to have them here to listen to what in the world God's word has to say about how we rethink who we really are. And so this is going to be a, a five-part series beginning on January 4th about rethinking, rethinking who we are in light of who God is. A pretty powerful passage that we're going to kind of pull apart for five weeks together um, in one of the New Testament books, all right? So looking forward to that. Rethink it in the new year. So here we are in our final spot, our final week. If you've been with us for a little while, you know that we are in arriving. uh, Now part eight of eight. If you're new this morning, just visiting, uh, we're glad to have you. Now you know we're finishing up a series this morning called Arriving. Um, The idea behind this series is that there actually is uh, this this thing that's wired into us to make us think that there's more to life than what we currently experience. There's this desire to kind of want more, more in our marriage, more in our faith, more in our disciplines, more in our personal lives, more in our own commitments. And we kind of are drawn to that, to plan for, to hope for, to, to work for a little bit more. And we sometimes say about people who we think are further down the road than us, we say, man, they've arrived. And this is the idea behind where we're going. There's an Old Testament word for that concept, and it's called shalom. It's called shalom. The idea that there's fullness, peace, hope, and life that God actually has created for us to experience. And around the Christmas season in particular, this is a week full of hope and joy and life, isn't it? It's a week that when I look back on my childhood, I remember some, um, some things in particular that I hoped for. Can you remember... Can you remember one of those times, now if you're older like me, an old person like me, okay, or older, can you remember a time or a season in, around Christmas, something that you actually hoped for, a, a gift that you were anticipating and, and looking forward to? I remember one, and I want to show you a picture of this guy up here um, in a moment. Many of you know that I grew up, spent many of my growing up years in the Caribbean, and when we come back to the United States for Christmas, it was like um, heaven on earth in terms of what was available to us as children. So around, around um, about, uh, let's go with eight or nine years old, uh, somewhere in that range, uh, we spent a, a year here uh, over Christmas. And I remember playing at that point in my life with Transformers. Remember them? Come on, help me out here. Right? Remember that? Thank you. All right. Remember them. Now, the main Transformer guy, the, the big head honcho, king of all Transformers, you got to watch this guy. He's going to show up on the screen in a minute. His name was Optimus Prime. Isn't that powerful? You want to see that again? Here, hold on. <laughs> Optimus Prime, the main Transformer guy. He would transform into like a big Mack truck, and then he would transform into the big intimidating Optimus Prime. And I remember thinking as a kid, man, this is awesome. 
we're here in North America. Man, there's Transformers in every store. Like, they just, I've got to get a million Transformers this year for Christmas. And I remember we were staying at, at a farm in Salonga. You can still see the farm as we drive, the farmhouses we drive down 283 that direction. And I remember the feeling of thinking, oh, it's the year of Transformers. I'm just going to get a million of them for Christmas because we're here in the United States. And I remember, I remember vividly, I remember vividly opening up one of these gifts, one of the first gifts I opened for Christmas. And I got white tube socks. (laughs) Not cool at all. I started crying. And I, and I remember going up the steps and just leaving the rest of the gifts because I was so disappointed that Optimus Prime did not show up as my gift number one. And I got socks. I'm like, you don't give socks to an eight-year-old boy for Christmas. I mean, you give that to him, you know, give it to his mom and he'll give it to you at some point, but you don't give him socks. And I remember being so disappointed. But this is, this is the year and this is a season, right, for hoping for things. And as parents, um, as we have kids and we know that they hope for a bike or they hope for a transformer, they hope for a, a, a doll or they hope for whatever, that we don't mind playing, you know, we call it in, in, uh, in our terms, we don't mind playing Santa. We don't mind playing the gift giver. We don't mind playing that role of, of satisfying the hope that our children have around Christmas time. It can be very rewarding to see hope fulfilled. Many of us, now that we've grown a little bit older, a little bit beyond Optimus years, are actually hoping for something that can't show up under the tree for Christmas. We're hoping that when you ask her, that she'll say yes to you. And you're hoping that he asks you this Christmas season. You're hoping that your Christmas break will be spent together with someone or that you wish you could find someone. It can't show up under the tree, but you kind of hope that that could be the case. Some of you are just kind of hoping in the new year that business will, will turn a little bit different than it has been now. And you just kind of hope and live for and just kind of plan for and just kind of hope that indeed this could happen. And there's some things that are within range of hope, right? There's some things that are within range of normal hope. And those things we encourage. We say, yep, that would be good to hope for. It be good to hope that you might get Optimus Prime. That's within the range of possibility for an eight-year-old boy. It might be good to hope that he might ask or she might say yes or the business might turn around. That might be within range. But as we get older, things change. So there are some things that are not actually within range of hope and actually become um, out of range for hope. And those things then become a little bit of a problem for us. Let me illustrate it this way. If we move Optimus over to the side a little bit, um, this year, my wife asked me a few times, what would you like for Christmas? Now, what if I were to answer her this way? All right, the Lexus December to remember event, right? I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, we see it on TV, the commercial rolls, and she asks the question, what would you like for Christmas? I'm like, hey, honey, I mean, how easy is that? It's set up right there. You can even probably buy the bow with the dealership. All right, there we go. December to remember. You want to make it memorable? Here we go. And what would you tell me? And probably the same thing that she tells me, like, right. Okay, what else are we talking about, right? How about some socks, all right? I mean, that would be the conversation. Because it's out of range, right? I mean, it's, it's out of range. And here's what we know, that it's actually not helpful to hope for things that are out of range, right? It's actually can be destructive and disappointing to hope for things that are out of range the range of normal hope. In fact, what we'll tell someone like that, and we'll, we'll use terms like this, like don't get your hopes up, right? In other words, uh, you're not going to get a Lexus, buddy. You're just not going to get a Lexus for Christmas. Don't get your hopes up because that, yes, you might want to hope for it, but that is foolish hope because it's out of range of what is possible 
for some of you, you might be thinking, okay, I might want to find a date and marry somebody, but someone might say, you know, may, I, I really want to marry whatever, you know, Chase Utley or, or uh, you know, someone else. And, well, okay, out of range, okay? I mean, just out of range. Someone might say, I want to start a business in range. Someone might say, I want to become the next Bill Gates. Maybe, maybe out of range for your first, you know, business to become the next Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg. There's some things that are actually out of range. And when they're out of range and we put so much hope into them, we try to teach our children, don't, don't get your hopes up, all right? I know, I know that you want a new four-wheeler, but you're only six, all right? Don't, don't get your hopes up that we're going to get that. And we try to temper expectations. And here's the thing. The question is this. What determines, okay, what's in range for hope and what's out of range for hope? You know, because in truth, there are many people in the United States, I guess, who will be getting a Lexus for Christmas, right? I mean, I, I don't actually know any of them. Maybe you do. Or if, I mean, if you want to make me one of those people, that's fine. But there are evidently people who get a Lexus for Christmas. But you know what is the, the defining line between what's in range for hope and what's out of range for hope is really this, and it is my experience. My experience tells me no one gets a Lexus for Christmas. I don't know anyone who gets a Lexus for Christmas. That's out of range. That's out of range. Don't hope for that. Don't hope that far. I don't know anyone who marries a Hollywood celebrity, okay? I don't know anyone who marries a pro athlete. That's out of range. I don't know anyone who is a self-made billionaire, personally. That's, that's out of range. Don't hope that far. So my experience tends to be the grid through which I filter hope. Now, here's the thing. Experience can be good, but it also can be bad. Experience as a father will tell you when a, a guy rolls up to your house to take your daughter out. He's got ketchup rolling down his, you know, his chin there, right? And he's got a hubcap falling off of his car. You know, he smells like he hasn't showered in three weeks. And you're like, you've got some experience as a dad. And you're like, ah, my experience tells me we're not home, door closed, right? I mean, that's just experience and wisdom, right? Knowledge, meaning life, saying this, this does not smell good or look good, and experience can be a very helpful thing. But experience can also be very, very misleading. Experience can be very misleading. In other words, there are things that you actually should have hoped for, things that actually have become true in your life, that at one point in your life, all of your experience told you this will never happen. There are things in your life that actually are true now, that if you would have been asked yourself 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I guarantee you, you would have said, no way. No way. Not going to happen. One of those, one of those, is that you might be, if you're listening to this or sitting out here, you are actually married. Or you've been interested in becoming married. And I'm telling you, let's, let's back the game tape up to when you were five. In particular, the men in this room. When you were five, how many of your five-year-old friends are like, man, we can't wait to get married. How about you? Hey, Billy, man, who are you going to marry? You know, are you kidding me? Right? So in a five-year-old world, girls are gross. Right? I mean, you just know that. They've got cooties. They stink. You don't even want to be around girls. You don't want to smile at them or do anything because girls are just flat-out gross. And in your world as a five-year-old, all of your experience will tell you, I don't even want that. And if you looked around at your peers, all of my peers are saying the same thing. Therefore, it must be true. Girls are gross. And somewhere along the line, 
that changes. Right? Somewhere along the line, that changes. And here's a significant part of that. That when we walk through life and we measure, we evaluate our life based on our experience of what we see and what we hope for, here's, what the, here's the problem. We, we will often settle. We will often settle to put only certain things within range of what is truly hopeful. And we'll be content to believe that there are some things that are out of our range of hope that actually should be within our range of hope. And what we're going to say is, well, no one around me experiences that. No one around me sees that or believes that or feels that. Therefore, it is not within range to hope for. For example, this Christmas, in this, this final message series on arriving, I want to talk to you about a concept that is so big, that is so big that it will immediately to you feel out of range. It will feel to you like a Lexus at Christmas time. You are not going to get one. And you will think, what I have to say this morning and, and is going to be so far out of your range that it feels so unrealistic that that's nice for you to talk about, but that's ideal pie in the sky stuff. That is not within range of hope. And when it isn't within range of hope, then we do nothing about it. We don't even think about it because it's just not realistic. As a five-year-old, I don't plan to get married, I don't, so I don't even think about it. I push it off. Who cares? I don't even want it. So here's the thing, that our experience will tell us this morning that what I have to tell you is so far out of range, is so impossible, that you're better off just continuing on with your life as is and keeping the things that we have in range in range and keeping what I have to tell you out of range. And what I want to talk to you about this morning in this final message series on Shalom is this really big concept that, uh, that in some ways uh, you'll hear in a, in a joking way sometimes at a, at a beauty pageant, when a beauty pageant contestant will ask, you know, what's your goal for your life, whatever, and she'll say something like, the, the default answer, world peace. Let's bring world peace. What I want to talk to you about is this concept that there will come a time, there will come a time when all will be right in the world. There will come a time when God will dwell with men and all sorrow will be gone and all anxiety will be gone and all striving and strife will be gone. All war will be gone and shalom, peace, will reign. You're thinking with me this morning. Here's what that's going to feel like. Alexis at Christmas time. Out of range. You kidding? I read the same headlines you do. I read about ISIS. I read about the Pakistani school that was attacked this past week with 140-some students and teachers slaughtered. You know, I, I read about Nicole Mathewson sixth grade teacher at Brownstown, CV district, who was attacked in her home and murdered this week here in Lancaster. I read about Ferguson. And I read about last night two New York police department officers shot, assassinated in their patrol car in New York City. And in the context of all that, I'm here to tell you, there will come a time when God will dwell with men and there will be no more war, peace, striving, hurt, trouble. And in truth, in truth, it will feel 
if we let it, it'll feel so far out of range that we're not going to orient our life around that because it feels so off to us. But I want to tell you that if you are willing, if you're willing to allow yourself to change how you see reality and say, my experience, even though I don't experience peace, even though my experience, everything within my bones tells me, my experience will tell me this is next to impossible. My experience will tell me I read about terrible things all the time. My relationships are stressed and strained. My family is tough. I cannot imagine a time and a place when all of that goes completely away. If you will allow yourself just for a moment to suspend that, to suspend your experience as a primary grid for your hope, I believe that you can actually have something significant change and shift within you that will change how you live this week, how you attack Christmas, how you handle your family, your money, your relationships, your business. If we begin to move something that's out of range into range in view of Shalom this morning. So I want to go to what God's Word has to say as the grid for reality, not just my experience. So I'd invite you, if you have your Bible with you, to turn to an Old Testament book, an Old Testament book called Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one around you in the pew right near you, and that is our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. Isaiah uh, chapter 25 is where I'd like you to land if you can. Uh, If you're finding your way through the Bible, you will note that um, if you find the Psalms, which is kind of right in the dead center of your Bible, just turn to your right ones. You go to Proverbs, and then you'll roll right into Isaiah uh, there after that, okay? So a little bit uh, to the right of the midway point in your Bible is Isaiah, all right? And as you look at Isaiah 25, I'm going to come to you in a moment. I'm going to show you a couple of other scripture passages first. So just find Isaiah 25, hang tight for a minute, and I will get right to that passage. I want to show you four passages before I get there, and these passages are just intros. They lead to uh, and help um, explain uh, Isaiah 25 a little bit. As we look in the beginning of the book of Isaiah, but just stay in chapter 25, um, we begin to see that in the Old Testament in particular, there's this anticipation, there's this hope that there's a future that is different than the present. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we read this, that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. See what Isaiah says there? That swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor training for war anymore. A future that is to come. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf will will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. This anticipation that, that nature and all of created things, with, with the, the predator cycle, the life cycle of you know, survival of the fittest will be changed and challenged and stopped. There will be this peace, shalom on earth. In Amos chapter 9, verse 13, Amos the prophet, who was also a farmer, wrote, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. This is the picture that, uh, that the, the land will produce, 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 produce. Uh, the, the reaper, as they're reaping, 
It's almost like, whoa, whoa, the guy who's planting is coming right on my heels. Like, I got to hurry and take up this, this harvest because the next field is ready already. And there's this constant abundance of all things for, for eating uh, and for sustenance of life, this image of fullness and completeness, the, the idea that comes in Amos. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, Habakkuk the prophet writes, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea that the knowledge of God will be everywhere, the fullness of all of that, which leads us right into Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 8, which is where you guys are hanging out. And let me read that and then just make a few comments, and we're going to go to one more passage of Scripture this morning. Again, this is speaking about a future day that is to come. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So this week, uh, you're having people to your home. You're going to someone's home. You're going to be visiting uh, with one another in in your home. And at some point, you're going to sit down at a table, and you're going to eat a meal that will be more than peanut butter and jelly, maybe. It'll be more than grilled cheese. It'll be more than a hot dog in a microwave. It's going to be an attempt at a feast. It's going to be an attempt for your family to bring together the best of the meats that they have, the best of the, the, the carbs that they have with the breads and the vegetables that they have and the, the fruit uh, that is available. And, and basically all of the, 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 the food that will come together around this table, including the desserts that, that bring you know, smiles and joy and, and delight and fat and all that. But anyway, they bring it, you know, all kinds of good stuff to us. You're going to sit down at a table and for a moment your family, your friends, you're going to try to create a moment of shalom. You're going to try to create a moment of fullness in life together that'll be represented in that moment of shalom. And maybe if you're the praying kind of family, you're going to pause and have a prayer. Maybe you're going to read the Christmas story first. Maybe you're going to have people go around and talk about what they're thankful for or something that they've been impacted with their faith this year, whatever, before you eat and all that, which would be great. But there's going to be that time when you will share and you'll sit down at the, the table. And it's a significant reality that we create even in our culture today, and it's one that Isaiah the prophet picked up, and he used that imagery to say that there will come a time when, when we will sit down at the table, and the imagery is right there, that the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. This is a feast from God. The feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet. A banquet of aged wine. The best that could be brought the best of meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain, then, he will destroy the shroud, he says here, that, that enfolds all peoples or the sheet that covers all nations. So the, the discouragement, the distrust, the lack of clarity, the anxiety, the angst between people and between God will be removed and will relate in openness and honesty with one another. There won't be the awkward pauses over the weird uncle over there or the the tension between dad because you didn't do what dad wanted and you did something else with the girlfriend and and that was never quite resolved and there's still tension around the table, kind of the, the shroud or the sheet that comes within the families. And all of that tension will be gone on this day. A future that seems so far out of range for our experience becomes very difficult to believe that it can happen because it's outside of what I've ever experienced or outside of what I've ever known anybody 
to experience before. And he goes on to say, verse 8, that he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Those of you who have lost loved ones and you're facing a Christmas season this year where, where there's someone missing at your table for the first time or for the second time or maybe this year for the tenth time. And it's going to be significant for you and you may be surprised by how you feel about that because you've never been down that road before. It may hit you at odd times. And here's the hope of the prophet Isaiah for, for people who believe that there is this God of the Bible, this God of the universe, that there will, there will come a time where that death that still stings and hurts and leaves that impression on you will be gone. There will be a feast that will be thrown. There will be joy. There will be laughter. There will be all that God created for us. And everything else will be swallowed up within this moment, within this great feast on this final day. And this image in the book of Isaiah is, is brought and carried and becomes a primary image that is given to the people of faith throughout, throughout history and throughout biblical history too. And it's moved actually from the Old Testament through what we call the intertestamental time, about 400 years when there was no writing of Old or New Testament, and carried through that period, even carried into the lives of the disciples of Jesus themselves so that when one of the disciples of Jesus named John would come to the end of his life, and he was on the island of Patmos, he would end up writing. And in his writing, he would recall the language of Isaiah, and he would write something that becomes so informative and helpful for us today. And that's where I want you to turn as we finish this up this morning. Take your finger and turn all the way to the end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, the, the disciple of Jesus named John is writing, and he's picturing a future that is built off of this hope that Isaiah has. And he says there in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The echoes of Isaiah moving all the way through to something written hundreds and hundreds of years later, inspired by the Spirit of God to this man, John, the disciple of Jesus, that we can look at today and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying what, John? That now the dwelling of God is with men. Profound statement. In other words, there's nothing at all in your experience or my experience today, nothing that can understand what this will be like in its fullness. When I see this and when I read this and I think now the dwelling of God is with men, take me back to the Garden of Eden because we have missed it since then and we've been clamoring to get back to it since then. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And John paints this picture that there is a future, peace, shalom, fullness, that is real and that actually 
therefore, the person who believes in Jesus Christ is not out of range. The Lexus might come for Christmas. There's something that we think is out of range because our experience tells us my family will never get better, war will never go away, trouble will always be here, and let's just get used to it, and let's just live used to it. The image, the picture of now the dwelling of God is with men is this image of shalom and peace. That because of this little baby who we celebrate on a day like today and at Christmas time who has come into the world ultimately to die for us, has secured a future for the people of God which should inform how we live today. So I want to say this as we draw this to the close with a couple of questions and a statement. So what question? Number one, a statement really. That seeing our future peace should expand the range of our present hope. Seeing our future peace should expand the range of our present hope. Meaning this, that as you look at your family, all right, as you look at your marriage, as you look at your business, as you look at your relationships and your hope for the future, and you think, my marriage is always going to be this way. It, my parents are like this. My, my grandparents were like this. It's just the way it's going to be. He's always going to be. She's always going to be. It's just the way that's, that's going to be. My kids are always going to be far from God. That will never change because I don't know of anything else, and I've lost hope that could ever change. You know, my faith is always going to be like this, and I, and I know that some people are more zealous. Some people have more, you know, in the game, and, and I'm just kind of, you know, hanging out, but I don't even know what that looks like, and so I'm just going to kind of live in the... The, the middle here. You know, my, my, my friends will always, <laughs> always kind of be, uh, be, be, be in a, a small circle of influence because I don't really want to expand beyond that and I'm kind of nervous about a future that could be different than the present. You know, the things that I think actually are impossible, what if, what if, because of a future piece, it changes my present hope. See, if it's actually possible... If it's actually possible that the dwelling of God is with men, if it's actually possible to imagine the impossible, then it changes how we live in the present. If a future that I thought was out of range actually is within the range of hope, it should change what I think right now is out of range. If I think it's out of range to reconcile with someone that I'm in a strained relationship with, it's just impossible. And hey, whatever, we'll get along well enough, we'll just say hi and let's move, you know, whatever. If I think it's out of range to reconcile the angst and the tension that I feel with one another, I feel like it's out of range to ask for forgiveness or deal with reconciliation. I feel like it's out of range you know, to hope for something more. A future hope, which the dwelling of God is with men, puts what I currently think is out of range into perspective. Because what I think is out of range may not actually be out of range. Not for the person of faith who serves a God like this. Secondly, we are given the gift of glimpses of true hope and peace now. As you sit down at your Christmas dinner this week, you gather around the table, and you have a moment where everything is right, where everything is right. The food is perfect, the smell is great, there's maybe music in the background, and even though your family fights, even though there's tension in your family and not everybody is super close and you have to get along because you're family, even though there's all that in the background, that for a moment... It's good. For a moment, things are right. 
those moments are gifts, the glimpse of what can be. And those moments are reality. Those moments are reality of what life will look like in a world where there's no sin. Those moments are gifts to us to say, I can hope beyond what I think I can hope for. See, what we tend to do is say, oh, no, 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 the reality is what I experience in the hard times. That's the reality. The reality is the murder of the CV teacher. The reality is ISIS. The reality is the fact that we're not going to get along and we never will. The reality is that my family has tension and that will never go away. The reality is that I may never get married and I really wish I could and I'm angry with God and I don't know if that's ever going to go away. And the reality is I'm going to get a divorce. It's just a matter of time and then we're going to struggle with that tension. That's just the, the reality of it. I'm telling you, for the person of faith, who sees God as someone who provides and delivers shalom, there is a future hope that is different. Therefore, the glimpses of hope in which everything is right in the world for a moment are a gift to us to say, rethink reality. Reality actually is this future, this hope that is different than your present, in which shalom and fullness should be yearned for, that in those moments that everything is right in the world, it should create in us a yearning that says, man, I want more of that. I want my heart to be geared toward this God who delivers hope and fullness. I want my character to be shaped by a God who has a future that's different than my present. I want to bring things out of range into range for my hope in life. This is what I want, that the glimpses of hope and peace that we have now are actually glimpses of reality, not glimpses of a false reality. But those are gifts to us of what could be to encourage our hearts to yearn for God and to yearn for fullness with each other in shalom as well. Finally, let me say this. This is a question. Where do I need to make room this Christmas? Where do I need to make room this Christmas? Where do you need to make room? For this little baby who came, who, you know, in baby form, uh, makes very little claims in baby form, but grows up not to be a baby anymore and makes some pretty great claims about who he is as a savior of the world and Messiah. Some of you have made the decision already to say, you know, I, I believe in this Jesus as a savior of the world, my savior as well. Some of you haven't, you know, trying to figure that out. You know, we want to walk with you in that journey, whether you're ready to do that today or not. We want to walk with you in that process of saying, hey, who is this Savior? How can we look at him, understand him? For those of you who have already made that decision, there's more room, right? There's more space that can always be created to line our lives up with the hope that Jesus provides. So the question becomes, how much room do I need for hope in my heart this Christmas season? How much room? Where can I hope again that what I thought was impossible actually might be possible? What I thought was irreconcilable actually might be reconcilable. What I thought was unforgivable might actually be forgivable. Where I thought there would never be peace in relationship with one another or with God, actually there might be the hope of peace. Your hearts were created. Our hearts were created to hold hope have hope. They're created for hope. And in this Christmas season, the question becomes, where do I need to make room, make the decision to give more room for hope than I was willing to give before? Your experience will tell you, be careful. Be careful. Because you don't want to get hurt. You don't want to trust too much. You want to be wise. Your experience will tell you, careful, careful, careful. There's wisdom. There's wisdom there. But there's also wisdom in saying, I serve a God who one day will dwell with men. And because of a future that is different than my present, I need to be willing to make room. Because your heart 
and my heart were created to experience This is the spirit of shalom that God has come to offer to you and to me a place to put our hope. And the risk is how much room am I willing to give for that hope to grow in my heart. And it's hard work because our experience will tell us, be careful, be careful, be careful. But wisdom says, my experience is not a good judge of reality. There's a future peace that should guide my present decisions. I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Hope again for what seemed like an out-of-range Lexus at Christmas time might actually be in range for the person who hopes in the God who brings shalom. Will you pray with me again? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we, uh, we pause before you this morning and ask the question at this Christmas season, what does it look like for me to make room in my heart for a God who brings shalom? What does it look like for me to hope again in a place where I've given up hope, for me to bring within range stuff that I thought was out of range, for me to have the courage to trust again, the courage to believe again, the courage to try again. Father, I pray that these little glimpses of peace and hope that we experience at this Christmas season, these little moments where all is right in the world will remind us that we serve a God who's given that to us. That they don't come because we've created them, but they are windows, they're moments in life where we get to see what life is supposed to be like. 
And so in those little segments, slices of life, sometimes last only a moment, Father, I pray that you would remind us of shalom. That when the meal is cooked just right and the conversation is rewarding and refreshing and engaging and, and the, the time spent just chatting into the evening are, are renewing to the soul and the, the note is received of encouragement that really lifts us where we need to go and those little moments that are all right remind us that there's a future like that. For those this morning who are having a difficult time believing that could actually ever be, I pray that you would help us to be men and women of encouragement and strength, to help encourage and move one another, to love one another well, to show one another that indeed there is love, there is hope, there is peace within the body, the community of faith because we serve a God who is loving and strong. Father, I pray that you give us courage to do what we know we need to do with the things that we've heard this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.